Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. Hand with your Bible and turn to the book of Jude. See if you can find this. The book of Jude should be easy for you to find, though it's not very big. You can slide right by it if you're not careful. When you get there, please stand to your feet so I know that you are with me. We're all on the same page. We want to go from the Word this morning and only from the Word. And it's best that you don't just take my word for it, but that you see it for yourself and read it for yourself. Lift your Bible in the air, say it along with me. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. My mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude, beginning in verse 3, and it says this. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And then he gives the reason. He says, For certain individuals who condemnation is written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people, and they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Father, I pray today that our minds and our hearts will be open and receptive to your word. Uh, God, we, we can depend on nothing else. We can depend, especially in this day and age, when there's so many things to play with our mind. Uh, God, so many people trying to trick us or to deceive us. And, and Father, I pray that uh, we will find peace, comfort, and direction in your word and your word only. Father, anoint it, bless it for what you sent it out to do. God, bring it back. Uh, God, having accomplished the mission you've given it, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I wasn't going to put this in, but I, I just felt this morning I probably ought to, uh, since I don't get to preach a whole lot. So, I, you know, Jimmy told you how long I preach, so apparently I have an extra 10 minutes um, this morning. I read an article this week in the, in the Crescent News, maybe you read it too, an article from Cal Thomas talking about the COP28 climate summit that took place in Dubai. In the article, he said they didn't serve meat to their guests at this summit because, and I quote, meat leads to flatulence, and flatulence leads to global warming. <laughs> These are the people who are in charge, okay? Professing themselves to be wise, they have become blooming idiots, right? Unfortunately, the church of the 21st century has unwittingly done the same thing. The Christian book market is a 1.2 billion, with a B, 1.2 billion dollar market, which is around 10% of the broader U.S. publishing market. As of 2020, over 179 million copies of religious books are sold per year. 
but only 20 million of those are Bibles. Those numbers frighten me, especially as a pastor. They frighten me because it would appear that believers today are reading more of man's word than God's word. God has given us one source for truth. He's given us his infallible word. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or 2 Timothy 3 rather, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture, and what does all mean? All means all, that's all all means. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us what we need, he, and he has given us all that we need in his divine word of truth. We can't depend on anything else to be infallibly perfect. We can't depend on anyone else to be infallibly perfect. And yet many believers today are receiving more of their theology from what they have heard than from what they have read in God's word. But we can't say that we haven't been warned that this was going to happen. How many of you here today believe that we're living in the last days? I want to see your hand. You believe these are the last days. You've seen enough stuff on the news. You've read enough things in the paper. You've seen enough happening in your own community and maybe in your own home to understand that we're living in the last days. And if so, then you will have to agree that in these last days, as the Scriptures have told us, there will be false prophets who are acting like preachers of truth. And you must agree that they are teaching and preaching doctrines of demons in place of the Word of God. We were warned that this time was coming. There are preachers today telling God's people that we're on the verge of great revival. They're telling you not to worry about what's going on in our country. Don't worry about what's going on in the world because things are going to get better. They're telling God's people that there is a great revival coming that will sweep America and will change the world. But I am here to tell you this morning that we are not on the verge of revival, but we are on the verge of God's judgment. But we don't want to hear that, do we? We're living in a strange time. Just a few years ago, we couldn't have uh, predicted where we are today. Things have moved quickly. They've changed quickly. In the year 2000, the experts were predicting that by 2020, our society would be so advanced that we would be colonizing Mars. Any of you been to Mars lately? I don't think so. But here we are in 2023 advocating for the murder of our unborn children, legalizing gateway drugs, and trying to figure out which restroom we ought to use. But we've been warned that this time was coming. We're living in a world that's rejected Jesus, a world that has rejected the good news of the gospel, and a world that prefers sin over righteousness. We have fallen to the place where we are now defending perpetrators and attacking victims. Wrong has become right. Right has become wrong. Males are becoming females, and females are becoming males. Murdering our children has become a righteous cause, and to a logical working mind, absolutely nothing makes sense. But the Bible has warned us that in the last days, in the final days of our existence before the return of Jesus and God's ultimate judgment upon sin, that the world is going to act like this. So we shouldn't be, expect anything less than what God has spoken to us about our time. And yet as bad as the world is, the most sobering words in the Bible concerning the last days are not about the world, but they're about the church. 
1 Timothy 4.1 clearly warns us that in the last days there will be some who leave the faith. He's not saying that they will leave the church or that they will refuse to be called a Christian. But rather they will leave the teaching of the infallible word of God. They will leave the fundamental doctrines of scripture and pursue the doctrines of demons. Why would any professing believer leave the word of God? Why would somebody who loves Jesus and who wants to serve Jesus choose to leave the fundamental doctrines of the Bible for the doctrines of demons? They will leave because they will leave the Bible because they will begin listening to the opinions and the ideas of men. They'll begin listening to ideas that appeal to their flesh, ideas that make them feel good about themselves, ideas that satisfy their ego by exaggerating their own power and their own authority. Their theology will come from what they have heard from men instead of what they have read from God. If we were in the last days, as the Bible warns, then it's essential that we identify who these false prophets are. And that we discern the demonic doctrines that they're teaching. When a nation is in trouble, and when you and I are in trouble, the one and only thing that we need is a word from God, which we already have in our hands. But we've been listening to the wrong people. We've been listening to politicians, and we've been listening to news anchors, and we've been listening to scientists who we know we can't trust. But we've also been listening to the false prophets of our age who have perverted the truth of God's word. What we need now more than ever is a word from God, but we've been listening to the wrong people. We need a word from God, but we don't need a new word from God. Listen to me here. There are preachers who are telling you that they have a new word from God. They're telling you that God has spoken to them, and he's told them something that nobody else knows, and they have an enlightenment that other people don't have. They will lure you away from those who have led you to Christ, and they will lure you away from the fundamental teachings of the Scriptures. They'll convince you that you are now more enlightened than the poor fools who are stuck on ancient Bible doctrine. But church, God's word is complete. God isn't giving anybody a new word because he's already spoken and he has not stuttered. We don't need a new revelation, but we need to pay attention to what God has already spoken. We don't need to add to what God has said because God has already spoken on every issue of our day and of our time. Some professing Christians have forsaken the infallible written word of God, our creator, and they've exchanged what God has spoken for the new words of the false prophets of our age. They have left the faith pursuing a new enlightenment. In Matthew 24, it says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, what you need to understand here is the disciples were unwittingly asking Jesus three separate questions. Because in their mind, they believed that these three things were going to be a simultaneous event. Jesus answered, he said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many, many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. 
And at that time, many will turn away from the faith. They will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I'm convinced, because of this scripture, that the end that the disciples were asking about and the end that you and I occasionally worry about isn't going to be a quick ending. But according to Jesus' words, judgment will begin first. God will give us over to our sins. He will allow us to have things our way. Romans 1 states that God will give us over to our sinful desires. And then he will give us over to our shameful lust. And finally, he will give us over to a reprobate mind that is unable to discern right from wrong. God will permit us to indulge in our sins to the extent that our sins will begin to devour us. We will reap the harvest that we have sown because the wages of sin is what? Death. During the last days, false prophets will slip in among God's people. They'll speak in the name of Jesus. They will be in the church, and they will speak to the church and pretend to speak for the church. But these false prophets will teach demonic lies that are intended to mislead God's people. Now, if you think this isn't happening, then you're very naive. If you think that you can trust every preacher and every teacher that has an audience or who is popular with the masses, then you're in big trouble. If you think that you don't have to discern the spirits and test what you're being told by the scriptures, then you're in for a very rude awakening. You say, but I've read so-and-so's book. I've listened to their teaching series. But you have not brought that teaching to the word of God to discern whether what they're telling you is the truth or the doctrine of a demon. When I was in college back in the 70s, 1970s, I worked at McDonald's. I'll tell you how long ago it was. Big Macs were 59 cents. Ronald McDonald was just a little boy. At that time, there were counterfeit $20 bills being passed. So some of his employees asked, how do we know if somebody hands us a fake $20 bill? And this was their answer. The boss said, study the real one. Study the real one. The only way that you can discern a doctrine of demons is to study the word of God. So if these false prophets are among us today, as God said they would be, then who are they and what is their message? In Judah, 2,600 years ago, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. His nation had abandoned God, and they'd followed after the false gods around them, and the people were committing the sins that were associated with those false gods. At this time, Jeremiah was the only prophet speaking God's word of truth to his nation. The people of Judah were comfortable in their sins. They felt no guilt or shame. So they felt no need to repent. Their sins had been deemed socially acceptable. Lawmakers had legalized their sins. The society had approved of their sins. Their sins had been justified by the status quo. Does that sound familiar? The false prophets of Jeremiah's day used a very attractive lie. It was attractive because it appealed to the three most basic avenues of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. If Satan is going to tempt you, he's going to tempt you in one or in a combination of these three areas. 
1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. The lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel physical pleasure from sinful activity. It's doing something that makes your flesh feel good in spite of God's disapproval. We're being told today, if it feels good, then do it. If it feels good, then don't let anybody talk you out of it. If it feels good, never mind what the preacher says, never mind what the Bible teaches, just do it anyway. Be true to yourself. The lust of the flesh brings pleasure to the mind or to the body while disregarding our conscience and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God has labeled the lust of the flesh as sin because he understands that the lust of the flesh, if left to itself, will soon become unbridled and uncontrolled. It is the gateway that leads us deeper into sin and ultimately to death. The flesh can never be satisfied. So the highs have to get higher and the fix has to get stronger until the lust of the flesh consumes you. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh are these, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you listening to the word of God? I want to ask you this morning, is your sin on that list? Is your sin on that list? The Bible is clearly saying that if you are doing any of these things, you're on your way to hell. There are sins today that are birthed out of the lust of the flesh. And these avenues have been stamped as passing by the false preachers and teachers of our day. Some people will choose a church because it is inclusive. Sin isn't mentioned and repentance isn't necessary. They preach that God is a loving God, and everything that they do in the flesh is covered by His grace. So they'll tell you, don't worry about it. Just take Jesus by the hand and walk with Him because He gets you. But it's a demonic lie that's leading unsuspecting people directly into hell. The lust of the eyes is a temptation to look at things that we shouldn't be looking at. With the introduction of the Internet, cell phones, and computers, there's a lot to look at these days. But what is worse is you don't have to even be looking for it because it will come looking for you. The lust of the eyes is to cast your eyes upon something that God has told you not to look at. Consider this passage in 2 Samuel 11 with regards to King David and Bathsheba, the woman whom David would commit adultery with. It says, And it came to pass in the evening that David arose from his head, and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof of his house he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look on now i'm not so naive as to believe that david didn't know that bathsheba was there and i'm not so ignorant as to believe that bathsheba didn't know that if she took a bath on a rooftop david would, could see her and he would be watching sin came looking for david and david began looking at sin his lust of the eye led david to sin his sin then turned david into a liar and into an adulterer and eventually into a murderer because like the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye also cannot be satisfied but the lust of the eye isn't limited to sex 
The sin of coveting is a prime example of the result of succumbing to the lust of the eyes. We rarely hear anybody preach today about the sin of coveting, but thou shalt not covet was one of the, was the tenth commandment that God gave to the Israelites, and it's still valid today. To covet means to have a desire for something that rightfully belongs to someone else. Somebody will say, well, you know, it's not fair that she has that nice car and I, and I, I drive this old junker. It's not fair that, that they have that nice house and I'm stuck here in this trailer. I want what they have. The problem today is you want what they have without taking the proper avenues to receive it. I want what they have. But I want it without effort. I want it without sacrifice. I want what they have without working for it or saving for it. I just want somebody to give it to me. But this is how subtle Satan is. The false prophets of our day are encouraging God's people to covet. They're encouraging Christians to pursue money, to pursue power and personal gain. They're telling their audience that they know a shortcut to get what you want. Just believe and pray for it and you'll receive it. The lust of the eye is leading unsuspecting believers into socialism in its most basic form. The pride of life is the temptation for excessive glory. Now, God created mankind to reflect his glory. God wanted to look at us and see the reflection of himself, but we have failed miserably because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. Because of our sin, we have failed to reflect the glory of God back to him. Pride is one of the sins that God hates most. It's a sin that made Lucifer, the beautiful angel, turn into the adversary. The pride of life is desiring to take the glory for things that God has done. It's wanting people to look at us, to admire us, and to hold us in high esteem. It is the lust for personal recognition. Pride says, look at me. I'm somebody. And then you strut around like a banny rooster because you think you're all that. It's bragging about yourself and showing off. It's being convinced that you know more than other people know and you are superior to everyone else. In today's world, pride has been deemed acceptable behavior and it's encouraged in our culture. Somebody say, oh, look at him. He has swag. Look at her. She has an air of self-confidence. We talk about pride as though it was a redeeming quality. But God created us to reflect his glory. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. But rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This has been Satan's mode of operation since day one. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, When Eve saw the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, when it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took the fruit thereof, and she did eat, and she gave it also to her husband with her, and he did eat. While the false prophets of Jeremiah's day were lying to God's people, condoning their sin, promising peace and prosperity, 
God sent Jeremiah to tell this people that judgment was coming. But the people didn't want to hear Jeremiah's message. You know, according to our standards today, Jeremiah would be considered an utter failure as a minister. He had no converts to his name. He preached his heart out, but nobody wanted to hear what he was saying. Today, Colosseums filled with thousands who pay admission to hear a message that plays to these three avenues of temptation. Some preachers today have taken the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and they've made them sound like admirable pursuits. But if a pastor confronts the sins of God's people, preaches repentance, and gives an altar call to get right with God, most won't even cross the street to hear him. The false prophets were saying, we have a better message than Jeremiah. We have a positive message. We have a, an uplifting message. We have a message that won't convict you or make you sad about your sin, but we have a message that will encourage you. We have a message that promises wealth and health and prosperity. We have a message that will stress your potential as a human being so you can be all you can be. But the hope that they offered was a lie. It was a doctrine of demons. Somebody once said, sometimes God's sheep are so ignorant that they can't tell the difference between grass and astroturf. You need to be able to recognize a false prophet. In this day and age when God warns that they will be among us, you need to know your Bible well enough to be able to discern who is telling you the truth and who's telling you a lie. You need to know the difference between the infallible word of the living God and the doctrine of a demon. The devil has never changed his message. It ain't broken. He doesn't intend to fix it. The lies that Satan presented to Eve in the garden are the same lies that he's using on God's people today. In Jeremiah 6, verse 14, God told Jeremiah, They dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. There are false prophets among us today who are telling God's people, you can authenticate yourself. You can do anything that you set your mind to. There is no limit to your potential to receive. Now that sounds very attractive. They will tell you to visualize what you want and have faith, and God will bring it about in your life because the power is in you to make it happen. I want you to pay attention here to how subtle Satan is. There is no mention of sin or repentance. There's no conviction, there is no humility before God, but God's people are being told, look for your answers within yourself. You have the power. You have the authority. You, you don't need to go to God's word. You don't need to seek God's will because you already have everything that you need inside of you to get what you want. You just need to know how to unlock it and let it out. In Jeremiah's day, the false prophets were putting a Band-Aid over a cancer. And they were promising God's people that the bandage could heal their deep-rooted sore. The sins of America are deep and they're vile, but they are, there are preachers today who are saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Everything will be all right. They're, they're putting a band-aid over cancer that can only be cured by the blood of Jesus, by repenting of our sins and humbly submitting our lives to God. Now, some might think that Jeremiah wasn't being very Christ-like by calling out these false prophets. After all, who was he to judge them? It's a bold move for a pastor to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with another pastor or an evangelist and call him out as being a false prophet. Some would say to me, well, you're just a country preacher. You're in the middle of a cornfield. What do you know? 
Who are you to call out the great preachers of our time? You see, most of us are non-confrontational. We don't want conflict. We'll run from a fight. In the name of peace, we'll bow to the bully. We would rather surrender and serve the enemy than fight him. But you know what? I'm 65 years old, almost 66 years old. I have pastored for well over 40 years. And the next great move that I make in my life will be into the presence of the Savior. So I'm just going to tell it the way it is. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to warn you about what's coming. And I'm doing it out of love for you. You are there. What Jeremiah did, he did out of love. He did it out of love for God and love for his people. Jeremiah wept over the sins of God's people. Even though he was berated and persecuted, he continued to stand in the gap and to plead with God to spare the very people who were opposing him. Please listen to how relevant this is. Jeremiah 5.12 says, They have lied about the Lord. They have said he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. But Jeremiah said, the prophets are but wind, and the word is not in them. So how can we recognize the false prophets of our day? Well, there are four distinguishing characteristics of a false prophet. The first is they diminish the holiness of God. This is important. The prophet said, no disaster will come because God isn't going to judge your sin, but everything is going to be fine. Most people don't want to hear about judgment. They would rather hear about mercy and grace and be lulled into a false sense of security. Now, certainly God is merciful, and certainly God is gracious, but God is also holy. We need God's mercy, and we need God's grace because God is holy. And in His holiness, God will always judge sin. The people of Jeremiah's day didn't want to think of God as a holy God. They didn't want to perceive God as a God of judgment, so they created a God of self-identification. They recreated God in their own image. Their God loved who they loved and hated who they hated. Their God never condemned their sins. Their God didn't demand righteousness. Their God would give them anything that they wanted. All they had to do is ask. Does this sound familiar? When you leave the Word of God, you forget what God has said about Himself. You forget that God is holy. You forget that God is righteous. You forget that God never tolerates sin. When you leave the Word of God, you forget that God who created heaven is also the God who created hell. And then when you've forgotten what God has said about Himself, you will recreate God in an image that you choose. You will recreate God to suit your own selfish desires. Jeremiah 5.30 says, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets say, uh, prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? What could be a better description of the false prophets and false doctrines of our day? They're saying you have the power. You have the authority. In your own authority, you made this happen, and the glory is deflected from God and place back on yourself. The second characteristic of a false prophet is they exaggerate the goodness of human nature. The false prophet said you don't need to confront your sins. You don't need to change how you live or what you believe. Instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, just get tweaked a little bit and become a new and improved you. We often hear these words, I'm not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay. You might be a homosexual or an adulterer. You might have hate your brother or cheat on your taxes or curse your children or lie to your spouse. But it's okay because God gets you. 
He understands who you are. After all, He made you that way. So just be true to yourself. One famous TV evangelist today said, and I quote, We have been born for earthly greatness. In fact, what you should do is imagine in your mind prosperity and wealth, and if you have these things clearly in your mind, thinking about them and speaking the right words will bring them about. Because you have the power within yourself to do all of these things, just think it. There's no emphasis on the authority of God in his message. As a matter of fact, you don't even need God to accomplish your desires because all of the power that you need is in you. Just think it and it will happen. Just say the right words and demand it and it will come to pass. But here is the danger, and listen closely to me. Satan was cast from heaven because he wanted to be God. And he's trying to convince believers today that they too can be like God. They can command and demand and things will happen according to their will. He will tell you, you prayed and you made that happen. You have the faith that other people don't have and that happened because of you. Let me tell you something and listen closely to what I'm going to say. Only God can speak something into existence. You don't have that kind of power. Stop thinking that you can name it and claim it, blab it and grab it or declare it and get it or whatever it is that you do. You don't have the power or the authority to speak anything into existence. You are not the creator, but you are being deceived by a demonic doctrine into thinking of yourself as God. Jeremiah 17.5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is a man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The false prophets of our day will tell you that you're using the name of God and the authority of God, but you are the one who is making the decisions and the demands, and you don't have that authority. You've deflected the glory from God to yourself. You now know more than other people know. You are more enlightened they are. You have a better understanding than those around you, but Satan has duped you with the demonic doctrine. You see, the devil knows your heart. The devil knows what tempts you, and he knows which lies uh, will, you'll fall for. Satan has found your weakness, and he'll exploit that weakness. He knows where you're ignorant of the Word of God, and he'll exploit your ignorance of the Bible so he can control you with these demonic doctrines. The third characteristic of a false prophet is they have n another source for their knowledge. When you leave the Word of God, when you leave the Bible, you have to have another source for truth. Everybody in this world has a source for truth. Everybody has somewhere that they go for advice and direction. Everybody has a Bible. It just might not be the Word of God. Some listen to the false prophets on TV. Some read an opinion from the latest best-selling book. Some listen to the false doctrines of their misguided church, but they've left the God-breathed, infallible truth of the Bible. What does the Bible say? I was sitting with a group of pastors one day, and they were all bragging about the books they had been reading. One of them turned to me and he asked, he said, so what book are you reading? And I held up my Bible and I said, this one, this one. Jeremiah 14, 13 says, but I said, alas, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them, you will not see the sword or famine. Indeed, I'll give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own mind. Here God mentions three things that these false prophets practice. First thing they practice is a false vision. It's amazing to me some of the crazy things that God's people are falling for these days. 
There are bizarre things being attributed to God, but they're always presented in such a way that if you question them, then you're questioning God's anointing. You're questioning in a way that it'll be a detriment to you, and you won't be, it won't happen for you. One false prophet of our day said, speak to your wallet and tell it to be full of money. How crazy is that? I tell you, if somebody sees you talking to your billfold, they're going to lock you up. Another famous preacher said, it is the spoken word. Listen to this. He said, it is the spoken word, not the written word through which God speaks to his people. This is the guy that draws tens of thousands of people. He was saying, you don't need to read the Bible. You just listen to what I'm telling you. And then he proceeded to mock those who hold their Bible in high esteem. And his audience cheered him on. Anyone who steers you away from God's word is a false prophet, and anything that is not from God's word is a doctrine of a demon, and you can take that to the bank. If you can't find it in here, if Paul didn't do it, and Peter didn't do it, and John didn't do it, if the prophets of old didn't do it, 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 then it is not from this book because God didn't leave anything out. The second thing they practice is worthless divinations. One of Satan's most effective weapons is to convince people that they're in contact with God when in reality they're being lied to by demons. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul was addressing the issue with the church at Corinth. He says, but I'll keep on doing what I'm doing in order to undercut those who want an opportunity to be regarded as our equals in the things they boast about. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. What Paul is saying here is don't get fooled by the show. He's warning God's people that there will be false prophets, there will be masqueraders who will pretend to be servants of God, who will be so skilled in their craft that they will even deceive some believers. Christian, that's why we're told to test the spirits, to know what spirit is at work. The third thing they practice is the delusions of their own mind. False prophets teach people to look internally at their own desires and then fashion God after those desires. Verse 4 of Jude says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you. Anything that divides God's people is sin. Anything that divides God's people is sin. Satan has convinced you that you have something that is superior to everybody else. So now you're above everybody else, and he has divided you from the unity of God's fellowship. He separated you from those who led you to Christ. He has separated you from those who have mentored you in the faith. It has divided you from your pastor and from your family. Satan has convinced some that they know more and they are more enlightened than the rest, and he has used it to create division within God's church. Some people have been persuaded by false prophets and demonic doctrines that if they think it, then it must be God speaking to them. You ever been around somebody like that? They're delusional. God has already spoken to us through his word. And he is finished speaking. 
He's not whispering in somebody's ear. He's not giving somebody a new word or a new revelation. But God's word is complete. The Bible contains everything that you need to know. If you're searching for answers, then search the book. The fourth characteristic is they hide their true motives. They're trained in greed. They manipulation, false promises. They encourage their followers to send them money, which will become seed money that will produce a big harvest of money for the sower. Here again is the appeal to the lust of the flesh that is made to sound like a godly pursuit. As God's servants, we give out of obedience to God. We give because God tells us to. But we don't give for what we think we might get in return. Giving to God isn't a lottery or an investment to return dividends, but giving is an act of obedience and an act of worship. Giving is sacrifice, and when something is sacrificed, you don't expect to get it back. See, false prophets boast about what they're able to do. Many will flock to them because they appear to be men and women of great power, but if there's failure, and let, trust me, there is a lot of failure, if their so-called prophetic word doesn't come to fruition or the miracle doesn't happen, then they'll blame you for not having enough faith, and they're off the proverbial hook. There are two conclusions that you need to take from this message today. Number one, false prophets are a sign of God's judgment upon a nation. Jeremiah 6.21 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am laying stumbling blocks before this people. And they will stumble against them, fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend will perish. We are bombarded with false prophets today because we have been drawn away from God by the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We have left the faith that was delivered us for the new words of the false prophets of our day, and we have become fertile soil for these false prophets and doctrines of demons to grow. The second conclusion is this. True prophets always preach God's word. Paul commanded Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word. Preach the word. Three words of instruction to Timothy for his ministry. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We're living in the last days, and I sincerely believe that Jesus is coming soon. Because of the sins of our time, we're beginning to see the unfolding of God's judgment. We are living in a society of death. Be careful where you get your theology. Test every spirit to discern if it's from God. Not everything that looks good is good. Not everything that feels good is good for you. And not everything that sounds good is from the Lord. And absolutely anything that separates you from your brothers and sisters in Christ is sin. You have been warned, and we need to take God's warning seriously. Study your Bible. Know your Bible well enough that you can recognize the doctrine of demons. Always remain true to God's infallible word, no matter what is popular, what is famous, and stand firm in the faith that's been delivered to you by those who have come before you. Set your house in order. Be ready. Be prepared. Because Jesus is coming real, real soon. Father, I today I want to thank you for your word. God, your word is strong, but God, in this day and age, we need strong medicine. God, we don't have something minor that can just be passed off, but God, the sins of our nation are great, and God, those sins are creeping into the church because your people are leaving your word. God, I pray that we will get back to the Bible. God, that we will focus on what you've already told us, and God, that we'll get our life in order. 
Father, there's so many things that come against us as believers. We go against the flow. We're walking a narrow path up the mountain while everybody else is rushing down the other way. God, it makes it difficult to stand. It makes it difficult to, to stick to our convictions. When everybody else is saying one thing and God, you're showing us something else, it's difficult for us to have the courage to go, that's not, that's not right. But God, I pray that you'll give us strength where we need strength. Give us wisdom where we need wisdom. And God, may we above all spend time in your word, knowing your will, knowing your ways. God, knowing what to believe. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.